Welcome back to NatChat, the Natillic podcast. My name is Rob Thorne. Today, we're discussing digital experience, visibility and monitoring. In July, Cisco doubled down on its investment in user experience with its acquisition of a leader in the network intelligence and visibility game, Thousand Eyes. With this, alongside their now fully integrated application performance monitoring solution, AppDynamics, Cisco are able to offer the most detailed insights, analysis and intelligence on the market. To discuss this and how they're helping provide a better experience for both users and operators of applications and networks, I was joined by senior marketing directors of both AppDynamics and Thousand Eyes. It's Tuesday, February 2nd, and this is an Atelic Podcast. Delighted to welcome to the Natillic Podcast, Ian Waters, Senior Director for EMEA Marketing at Thousand Eyes. Ian, how are you doing, my friend? I'm very well, thanks, Rob. Good, good. And also, Justin Vaughan Brown, also Senior Director of Partner Marketing and Strategy at Dynamics. Justin, how's life? Uh, doing well today. Looking forward to this podcast here, Rob. Thank you. Yeah, good to have you aboard. Good to have you aboard. So, just a quick round of introductions um, to, to start off. Could you guys tell the listeners a little bit about your background, what keeps you busy day to day, just on an individual basis? So um, Ian, might as well start with you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been with Thousand Eyes about three and a half years. Uh, we're now back in Cisco, having uh, been acquired in August of last year. I say I'm back in Cisco because I, I previously spent around eight years at Cisco um, before um, I actually left Cisco to join Salesforce and then onto Thousand Eyes. So um, I've sort of gone, come back round. And before that, I was in service providers and systems integrators for, for the best part of a decade. A decade. So I started off um, yeah, with service providers. Um, and now, day-to-day responsibilities for Thousand Eyes, I, I run our EMEA marketing team. So we do all the sort of things you'd expect with marketing and go to market. But I also have a an interest in, in product and solutions marketing. That's really where I started. So um, that's what I like talking about. It's a strong background. I didn't know that about you, actually. Um, you've already been at Cisco and Salesforce as well. So Yeah, so I went from Cisco. I think I was mainly in collaboration at Cisco for about eight, nine years, and then off to Salesforce, where I went on to the um, Salesforce platform, so all the um, platform-as-a-service stuff. And that, then, nice. then I joined Thousand Nights from there. So that was an interesting um, few years there. Oh. Well, no, no pressure, Justin. Beat that. <laughs> 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 I won't even try. I won't even try. Um, thanks, Rob. So, so Mike. Uh, so, first of all, I've been at App Dynamics for over four years. Uh, my role is is basically focusing on taking our joint story with partners to market. So, helping evangelize that, um, stitching an interesting narrative and story, and, and showcasing how we can help our our partners and our customers. And uh, my background has kind of come in useful because um, I originally studied actually in advertising. So I worked for a number of West End ad agencies as uh, an account director, working between the creatives and the clients and working on a number of campaigns, including radio, TV and press, and laterally online, and then moved client side and worked for people like Microsoft in the partner marketing business and also Antipiracy, which was absolutely fascinating. And I moved also then later to Germany and worked for Software AG, the second biggest software company in Germany. And then more recently, CA Technologies as a DevOps evangelist, and then moved on ultimately to... Uh, to AppDynamics. And uh, I have to say, it's interesting coming back from the advertising background that definitely helps in terms of how we simplify a technical story and take it to people so they understand the benefits without them getting bogged down in the bits and the bytes 
And I always try to do my best and not jump to the whiteboard and start doing swirly designs and Venn diagrams and getting overly excited. Uh, usually my colleagues tell me to calm down and uh, go a little bit easy, but um, it's been useful. It's been a very, very interesting uh, journey and um, love telling our story. Yeah, it's a nice touch in the, uh, the listeners obviously won't be able to see, but um, I'll, I'll describe for you. Justin's got a nice whiteboard and right in the right behind his um, <laughs> homework in setup, which is a nice touch. I think um, it certainly beats my travel photos and things over my, my Batman poster over my shoulder. I imagine it's so much more practical for client calls and, and, and the like. Yeah, I just can't draw from left to right. You start working the reflection and everything else. It's uh, funny. Yeah. I've, I've, never, I've never worked that out. I'm not that smart. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's uh, that that's a uh, that's definitely definitely testing. So, um, thanks for that, gents. So, I, I think it's safe to say you both individually represent some hugely successful organisations um, in your own right that now sit at the heart of the bigger picture of Cisco's data centre portfolio. Um, but I know you're both very well known names in the industry. But just to Again, for anyone that might not have heard of App Dynamics or Thousand Eyes, um, could we get a high-level introduction as to again your proposition and, um, and what you do for for your clients at the moment? And again, I'll um, I'll go around again. Start with you, Ian. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, I mean, I don't know how well Thousand Eyes are known to everybody. I mean, we we were a Series D company when we were acquired last year, around four hundred people, um, and that's when. Cisco announced the acquisition at the end of May and it completed at the start of August. We are, we are quite well known, especially in finance in the UK and in the SaaS and technology industries, but not necessarily broadly. Um, but what we do essentially is we provide visibility for this new extended set of infrastructure and services that companies are now relying on to deliver digital experiences. So what I'd like to say is we help companies see, understand and improve the quality of the digital experiences they deliver to their end users. And that could be customers trying to access an app, trying to access a, a taxi app or order food or online banking or whatever it might be, uh, or it could be employees. And we're obviously all remote working employees now, and we're all trying to access SaaS apps and all the different services we need to do our jobs. You know, how, how do we help organizations see and improve those services they deliver and it's getting increasingly difficult because there's more SaaS, more internet more public cloud more third-party services and where we specialize is providing the end-to-end -end view across all that infrastructure and services and regardless of whether you own them or not and that's really what makes us unique yeah great and um how about you justin i mean um it's well, well, we'll get into it afterwards. I think it's been a fascinating 2020 for both of you. And certainly I imagine the, the use of your tools more than ever has been has been useful this year. But um, how about how would you say AppDynamics sort of fits in there? Because it's a, it's a similar story, but not quite the same, right? Absolutely. So, so AppDynamics, in really simple terms, you can call us you know, the application detectives. We can tell where your complex com uh, custom applications are at risk of slowing down. Or, or having an outage. And, and honestly, now I think, you know, slowdowns are the new outage. You, you very rarely hear about a major application completely going, going out, but the issue is where it slows down. It slows down to the point where the IT infrastructure and operations people don't really know something's majorly gone wrong until people start complaining on Twitter or Facebook, or you start losing customers or revenue. And, and it can sometimes be down to a few second delays where a customer said, well, if, if I can't buy it from this site or from this company, I'll go somewhere else because it's a lot easier to do that now. You know, uh, I, I'm old enough to remember when it was incredibly hard to move banks. It's now literally you can do it in a day. It's very simple. And 
customers are far more fickle in terms of any loyalty to, to a brand now, especially when it's led mostly through the application experience. So, so what we're able to do is, is point point and identify where things are slowing down. We basically measure or, and understand the time it takes for each of the components to talk to each other in really, really simple terms. And if that's taking longer than expected or normal, then we highlight that. And we can then also highlight where the issue resides. Is it in the, the server, the database? Um, you know, is it in a piece of code? Is it in the network to some degree? But we can't go to the depth that Thousand Eyes can, which is why the acquisition of Thousand Eyes of Cisco is so brilliantly complementary. The two technologies work really, really well together. You know, is it, like I mentioned, like server, database, um, and so forth? And, you know, the, the key thing here is then being able to identify where an issue lies as opposed to drumming up or calling up a, a war room, an IT war room, as they're called, where used to, what used to happen is people used to run around and say, oh, oh good heavens, we, we've got an issue now. Let's pretty much call in everyone. <laughs> and imagine that would now be something like a WebEx for 30 faces and everyone's pointing to each other and looking at their own monitoring tools and proving it wasn't them, what we call mean time to innocence. Well, all that really matters is, number one, identifying where the problem is. Um, so maybe just call up the server team or the database team or the development team, et cetera, but only involve the people who are actually involved, um, who actually materially impacted where the issue resides. And the second one is let's be focused on the people who really matter, either the employee, if it's an internal app or the customer, because they're the ones who are suffering. Um, they don't really care about any internal politics or how the IT organization is structured. All they know is they open an application with an end result in mind. It could be checking the weather. It could be booking um, a holiday <laughs> we can dream <laughs> maybe later this year. It could be you know, buying okay. something online. It could be order, ordering their you know, food shopping, weekly food shopping online. But despite everything, in a sense, people are, if they're not necessarily so time poor, they're really, they want stuff to work because everyone, I think, is under a, a heightened sense of um, pressure in, in, in a COVID world and they depend on those applications. And if they don't work, that causes issues and ultimately can lose customers. So we, in complementing, we'll maybe talk about that later is how we complement each other from a technical point of view. But both Ian and I, our companies are absolutely focused on that customer experience and making sure that apps work. So whenever my, my friends have met me, you know, and asked me, just what is it the, the heck that you do? What is app dynamics? And I literally just say, see all those apps on your phone. Do you get annoyed when they don't work? And of course, they nod violently and say, yeah, we help stop that happening. Does, does, does that make sense, folks? Yeah, perfect sense, absolutely. And I think from my perspective, I mean, I came over to the marketing role that I'm in at the moment from a sales role, um, account management specifically. And I've been in enough of those war rooms where, you know, it is that 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 almost race to prove your innocence and you're trying to find out again whether it's poor quality or poor connectivity or whatever it is um actually being able to get to the bottom of that and have data to prove again where the issue lies the, the sooner the better right especially i'd imagine coming into this world of remote working so um no absolutely it's a powerful message i think um so switching switching gears a bit then so let, let's take a look at i was in doing a bit of a swatting up like a responsible podcast host and looking at the Thousand Eyes website, um, just reading a, a blog. It was actually quite a fun exercise. Um, the review of the year 2020 um, 
with it with it in the rearview mirror, I think it's it's a lot more entertaining. But uh, spoke about things like the Office 365 outage, um, a few sort of times that ISPs maybe suffered a little bit of pain. But in terms of your experience, gents, of of 2020 with with clients and how working from home has affected monitoring and visibility, what what stood out? to you or what 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 interesting things have you noticed certainly over the last well 12 months now i suppose we're coming up to right yeah i mean with a bit of perspective it's interesting how you know your thoughts your observations change a bit obviously during the year it was very much all focused on supporting remote workers and trying to make that happen and there was a scramble initially to to make that happen and a lot of our customers especially finance customers you know they were used to having their employees in the office in the city of london for example a lot of their employees didn't necessarily have devices they hadn't scaled their vpns to actually support it and so several customers especially in finance you hear big stories of them having to really move heaven and earth to get things get devices to employees get capacities scaled to actually be able to support their remote workers at all. So I think there was initially that big period of firefighting just to get the job done. And then we all settled in for what was turned out to be quite a long time and is still turning out to be quite a long time. And I think that um, there's probably two interesting observations when I think about it that come to mind immediately. And one is, you know, obviously all those employees were at home but those employees effectively provide your customer service, right? So directly when they're, cust- when they're contact center staff, of course, but more broadly, the majority of your staff are often supporting customers in one way or another. So actually, you know, providing technology to them was, was in effect providing technology to support your customer. And obviously, as well as all your employees being at home, you're, you're, digital channel to your customers is now effectively pretty much your only channel to your customers. Yes, there are contact centers as well, which work alongside it, but any interaction in the branch or in the shop or any meetings face-to-face were gone. And actually that customer interface had moved entirely online. And so we saw actually emerging out of that remote workforce, a real focus on the customer facing workforce, the contact center workers, how do we make sure that we bring more video and collaboration into how we service our customers to try to replace some of that that we have at the branch. How do we ensure that, you know, if customers are frustrated about not being able to come and see us, that actually they get the right type of exceptional service from those agents, regardless of where they are. And also dynamic things like how do we how do we actually use those agents intelligently, depending on their connectivity and which broadband networks they're on and route calls accordingly so that that sort of emergence that transition through initially supporting remote workers but then supporting the customer experience remotely was an interesting one and then i think just for anybody who's worked in the industry for a long time you know we've been talking about cloud and SaaS and remote working and all of these things software defined networks for a long time i mean i think i probably fielded my first questions on cloud 15 years ago, you know, so, and these things have been building and building and building. And obviously the last few years have been a tipping point for cloud and for SaaS adoption. I think that tipping point had been reached before last year, but to see things like video exploding, collaboration platforms exploding, remote working exploding, all these things that we talked about for a long time, they finally had that forcing function. And suddenly there was 
urgency behind digital transformation. Digital transformation has got a, a hard press, a bad press over the last years because it had been talked about for so long. But there are a lot of things which stopped it, you know, technical debt, business inertia, conflicting priorities, all these sorts of things have put the brakes on a lot of digital transformation projects. And that just couldn't happen last year because of the urgency behind it. So that acceleration within that 10 month period is really very interesting. Um, it, I, I think I think all of that Ian said is, is completely relevant and it echoes, you know, our experience of that dynamics. I mean, it's interesting just you talk about you know, the impact that we've seen over the last 12 months, the change of way of working. We ran a survey um, in May last year, actually, um, a kind of a special version of our annual App Attention Index survey, where we, we, we seek to learn latest opinions and views on the importance of the application experience and major issues. And I, if, if it's okay with you, Rob, I'd just like to share a couple of interesting stats that came out of that that might be um, pertinent for your listeners. Um, so so when, when the whole COVID um, situation uh, started gaining, gaining momentum, I'm sure I wasn't alone in the tech industry in wondering, like many other industries, what's going to be the implication for us? Is it going to be a tough year? Yet the research that we, we conducted and the findings pretty much borne, borne out our experience in the year, which was, you know, we found that nearly three quarters, 74% of the IT professionals, we surveyed over a thousand, um, said that approvals for technology projects had shrunk from one year plus to literally just a few weeks. And the actual implementation of that, well, 71% had said the implementation had shrunk from one plus year or months, even to literally just a few weeks. And probably the most fascinating stat that I came across there was when they were actually talking about um, how COVID had impacted um, the challenges that they faced was that 65% had actually already implemented digital transformation projects that were previously dismissed as unnecessary. And this kind of bears out that old maxim of kind of, you know, needs as must, you know, your, your, your priorities can evolve and change. And, and a couple of other interesting points came out of this in parallel, which were when we asked um, the, the survey group, what are the main challenges in delivering a high quality digital customer experience during the COVID-19 pandemic? A couple of, um, responses released to that, which was one to Ian's point was 81% said managing spikes in website traffic. And then also 79% said managing the mean time to recovery with a remote IT department. And of course, you know, when you're no longer having those water cooler conversations or walking the floor or putting your head around someone's office, or, you know, meeting for a drink after work or grabbing a coffee on, you know, on the way into work, you, you've lost those interactions and insights that would typically be shared. And that's fundamentally changed the way of working. So we're seeing so many things work in parallel. The importance of applications performing to much higher degree, much higher demand in terms of the traffic. And then also the capabilities of IT teams to support those applications when they're doing it, you know, from a remote perspective. As I was mentioning, who would want 30 faces popping up on a WebEx when you'd much rather have four? Can you imagine the disruption, the hassle? Uh, and on top of that, you've also got the challenge of home working. Um, and, and, you know, if you I, I live in a family of, of five and sometimes we're all competing for bandwidth <laughs> and I'm sure our family is not alone in, in facing those challenges. Uh, and a lot of those demands are on video, for example, with with children doing online learning because they can't attend school. It sounds like a non-business related topic, but if it's a drain on on bandwidth, then it's a drain. It doesn't even matter if it's a business conversation or someone's yeah. learning 
you know, listening to their math teacher. It's, it's still it's still a technology issue. And I, Ian, I don't know if you've got a similar perspective on that or, or any particular thoughts from a thousand eyesight. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing that as well. I think that balancing and that competing for bandwidth. I think, you know, it, it's interesting the role of the internet. I mean, as a as a company, we we sort of describe ourselves as a cloud and internet visibility company, and and we were sort of born of this idea that the internet was going to become increasingly important, and yet it was a very complex you know, unmanaged, trust-based environment of now over 60,000 different autonomous systems all working together. And and off, obviously, in the past, the corporate network, when we've all been in the office, has been a, a very private, managed network. But now the internet is probably the largest component of even the corporate networks. And by design, it's always been built to be contended, to be best efforts, to be, you know, Non, non to not prioritize traffic and so that network that we're all very much reliant on is is something that we can have to compete for netflix traffic or compete versus webex versus you know google classrooms and that's just the way the internet has been designed and and i think last year and this year now as well has just brought into more brought more into definition you know the fact that the internet is something that if you really want to manage your user experience, whether as an employee or a customer, the internet is a big part of that and, and increasingly so. And so getting visibility into that from our perspective has, has been underlined as being even more crucial in the last 12 months. It, Ian, do you think it's something we've taken for granted always and then suddenly it's now being under more demand than ever? Because like you said, we've all in this living, in this kind of cushy, ivory tower you wander into the office and it's super fast and super good and even when you've gone home or work from home one day the demands haven't been great well and now suddenly everyone's on i it. think i mean it's just something that's developed organically right i mean if you think back it wasn't that long ago well in my mind it wasn't that long ago i think it was probably maybe 16 or 18 years ago we were working on dial up right and we had however much i think six, 16k throughput or something like that from home so you'd you'd set your PowerPoint off to download and go away and make a cup of tea because you knew it was going to take that long. So it has grown organically and speeds have increased at quite a large scale in recent years with the advent of things like fiber and gigabit to the home and those sorts of things. So, so I think it's been growing alongside our increasing reliance on it. But I think people don't necessarily think of the scale of it. You know, the fact is, I mentioned there are 60,000 autonomous systems that make up the internet and that's 60,000 networks that are all advertising routes using BGP on a trust basis, you know, and all those networks appearing and connecting together all on best efforts and competing for bandwidth. It's a, it's a very complex environment and perhaps it's the complexity we don't necessarily think of immediately because we have a router, we connect to it over Wi-Fi. Perhaps we understand the Wi-Fi and our, and our last mile, but we don't understand the scale and, and the breadth of that internet. And so I think it's sort of, we've, we've, we've all developed together, right? And I think, I think we've just come to this point now that we see this increasing reliance. And it was interesting with some of our, our service provider partners, you know, when we went into the lockdown last year and the internet did come under the spotlight because there was a lot of sort of, oh, is the internet going to break? Largely, largely performed really well. You know, we went through those top five outages of last year and they were interesting because they taught us something. But broadly, that 
doesn't mean the internet didn't perform really well for most of us most of the time. Um, but the service providers, they reported in that first lockdown of last year, up to a 100% increase in internet traffic. BT, in fact, it reported that 100% increase. And then I think Vodafone was 50%. So these networks, you know, they did experience a step change in utilization pretty much overnight. But it's also a a credit to the way the service providers build these networks because they build in so much capacity. They normally operate a network at around 40%. They've already got the 60% overhead. So the fact that they could take on that extra traffic is actually a credit to the way they architect their networks as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. And I think it's um, also, uh, I suppose in, in some perspectives, I know speaking to certainly speaking to some, uh, some of my clients back in, uh, maybe a you know back back sort of post the initial pandemic sort of um, accelerating was the fact that IT maybe was a little underappreciated and certainly IT teams now are starting to again like you said get the respect that they deserve when it comes to again being a facilitator for better outcomes rather than just being a necessary evil for people to get stuff done right um, and I think certainly there's a lot of IT superheroes across the across um, sort of IT infrastructure teams especially um, so yeah. Um, and and I think touching on one thing that you mentioned earlier, which is um, sort of brand and brand and application loyalty, which I think is a big part of both of your story in terms of the outcomes that you drive for your clients. Um, what what do you think in terms of helping your clients? Because I'm keen to get some real life examples of what you you guys have been doing over the last twelve months. Um, how have you found that that's evolved over the last 12 months? I mean, have you got any any stories to tell? I usually ask most of my guests to sort of try and contextualize that way. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to kick off this time, if, if you like, Robin. This this one maybe is, a, maybe I think, a year or so perhaps uh, before COVID. I think it's, it's particularly relevant still, which is with Carhartt, who are a very, very well-known American apparel manufacturer who started um, essentially you know, um, decking out people for working on the railroad in the late 19th century and grow from there. And obviously, over time, they've gone from just purely the physical stores. And I think they even have any, a growing brand presence here, you know, in, in the UK every time I've at least visited, um, you know, London going coming back from, from Germany where I live is, um, you know, they certainly got a, a bigger brand presence these days. But they, they've increasingly focused their efforts online. And obviously, people now are, are purchasing more goods um, via the internet. And what was interesting for us, they, they had a major Black Monday uh, event where we've been working closely with them to improve the performance of their site and the responsiveness. But literally, when things launched they were, on that day and they were expecting a, a heck of a lot of, of traffic, they immediately noticed there was an issue with one production server, which we identified addressed before it impacted the customer. And we had a number of the senior um, you know, management staff also using the AppDynamics uh, dashboards um, to understand what, what was going on literally in real time in terms of revenue and which product lines were delivering. But a little bit later in the day, they noticed that they had a special offer that they were running, which was if you spent over $125 with them, you get a free gift, a particular free gift. I won't go into details of which one, but but sounds great, brilliant, but almost being victims of success there. Things were going really well, actually, and they had hit the point where very soon they were going to actually run out of that free gift because so many customers had actually purchased more than $125 of goods. So they had detected this and were then able to actually switch the promotional offer so you would receive a different kind of gift ahead of time. 
rather than someone spending over $125 and then being told, actually, sorry, we can't fulfill this request. We can't actually have your free gift now, which of course would have been a pretty lousy customer experience. So it's just an example of being able to anticipate those demands and being able to also identify where an issue within your infrastructure, it was start, things were going to start to slow down. And this is where, as much as we're detectives, perhaps you can also see app dynamics as the insurance agents. We were insurers to make sure that you fix things before it's an issue. We wanted to preemptively know this is going to, to happen. And uh, just a, a real world example, not related to app dynamics, but in terms of that customer experience is, you know, when where my youngest daughter um, started online schooling, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Germany, right, she had an issue with the platform they use and no one could log on because whatever reason they had anticipated the sheer volume or spike in traffic. And I looked uh, on a, at a German online newspaper to discover amongst many of the other German states who were quite autonomous and had each their own online platforms, there were issues of slowdowns, of outages, of problems of people logging on. And I'm not saying all of this was preventable, but a lot of this app dynamics could help with by anticipating what is the typical load. Also, you know, you can look at other things such as, you know, performance testing or pre-production testing, but it's all about anticipating those issues and, you know, yeah. just spending time and investing. Um, I'm sure Ian, you've got some examples as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that proactive nature of, you know, being able to see these issues before they're their customer impacting. I think that's what a lot of the ops teams and the service delivery teams, they, they sort of dream about is that, you know, the ability to deliver that, that greater service where they've actually starting to fix things before they become a customer impacting issue, but also from a practical perspective, just, just reducing the sheer amount of, of tickets they have to, they have to, um, to raise. I mean, we think about some of our customers, if they're rolling out um, massive, Perhaps if they're rolling out a big application internally, maybe it's something they're they're moving to a public cloud. You know, if they've if they've got fifty thousand employees, all of a sudden it goes wrong. They can suddenly have a thousand tickets there, which they all have to manage, right? And that you know, purely for, that's a that's a cost, the business case right there, right? Is you know, not having to manage those one thousand tickets by actually knowing that when you've deployed that application, you've put it in a public cloud region. Some for whatever reason the latency is spiked up or the page load is not is not what it should be. Not having those one thousand users all raise a ticket and having to work through them all, you know that is um, that's a, a real benefit for our customers. And I think, but I think it's more it's more that desire to actually provide that that great level of service. And I think this is something that that I've learned is, you know, the teams. That are working together they they all really want to provide a great grade of service i know that we we talked a little bit about war rooms and finger pointing and that and that does happen but it normally happens because they haven't got a a single data set and a, a single um view to work from uh i think everybody is trying to provide a great service and everybody wants to get things resolved for their users regardless of whether they're your partners or suppliers or whether it's the company themselves it's purely about having reliable data across this very complex environment that helps you do that. You know, we hear from customers who have massive escalation calls. So my, one of my favorite examples is a big UK bank. Um, they run a, a customer facing online banking app used by tens of millions of people. 
they tend to look at concurrent logins per minute who's authenticating into the app and they can get up to 10 12 13,000 of those a minute and they look at what when it drops because if it suddenly drops to 5,000 when it should be 10,000 they know they've got a problem now when they have that problem they're actually experiencing an issue where every half an hour their number of concurrent logins was dropping significantly and they have a sort of an escalation call they pull everybody on all their partners all their suppliers all of their um, internal departments all of the professional services they have and they can have anywhere between 180 20 and 120 100 and 120 people on these calls and they estimate it costs them around ten thousand pound an hour just to have this call which by the way could be happening at two in the morning so when we when we were called into that we were we were actually very quickly able to say actually where your problem is is in a cdn provider that you have cdn provider was unaware of it because it was one of their upstream providers that was having an issue on part of their network so we were able to get to that very quickly and if you think about you know just the return on being able to avoid having 120 people on a call at two in the morning if purely if just from a morale perspective let alone anything else you know it's pretty impactful but i, I do think you know we do get asked a lot if you do have this visibility and you can say it's this CDM provider or it's that region of the public cloud or it's that ISP, do you not, you know, get a lot of um, abuse about pointing out where people are going wrong? And it's actually we see completely the opposite. We see our customers actually improving their supplier relationships with this because it's it's data everybody can work on to fix the problem quicker. And ultimately, that's what that's what they all want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I was just thinking, actually, while you were while you were talking there, about you guys must have been watching the whole Robin Hood trading what two one two GameStop situation with closely with interest last week as well. That was fascinating. Well, yeah, and we do, yeah, we do, we do look at. We have actually, uh, because of the way we're architected, we have agents deployed all around the world in the internet and the public cloud, and we can use them to test anything that's public facing, effectively any public facing URL or IP address. So we do have a. A lot of tests running just in case something interesting happens because it always um, always tends to make um, good content. And, and to be fair, I mean, I have to hold my hands up. I am particularly precious when it comes to not being able to get what I want when I want nowadays. Um, today's fast food culture. <laughs> well, they say I think what they have, what they say is two seconds is what I is what I think there was the article that we used quite a lot is that. Um, that two second test after two i think it's after 2.5 seconds i think to be precise is when people start to think about switching obviously if they have a choice you know if it's one food app versus another food app or one taxi app versus another taxi app obviously if it's your bank you haven't got so much of a choice because that's where your your money is but you know it's interesting in that where people have a choice I think the article was saying it was about two and a half seconds before they actively start thinking two and about and a half switching. Seconds. Maybe I'm not as precious. Maybe I'm giving myself a bit of a hard time. <laughs> in that case. Um, good. Well, before I let you go, gents, um, be worth talking quickly about what, what we can expect to see from AppD and Thousand Eyes in 2021. Obviously, direct partnership only just beginning, um, but it'd be good to give the listeners something to look forward to um, in the future. I'm sure there's a lot in the in the pipeline next year or this year. That's a shame. Yeah, Justin, do you want to take that one first? Or yeah, sure. I, I think I think my 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 message would be uh, check out our uh, Transform 2021 event that's taking place on the 23rd of February and also on uh, in March as well. There's an there's an EMEA version at more convenient times. So uh, I'm sure that we can maybe add that to uh, your uh, your links, etc. There, Rob. But of course, um, 
there's plenty of news uh, and announcements to look out for from us over the next uh, kind of month or so. So can't say anything more, but uh, just keep out your keep your eyes and ears open, and uh, yeah, you'll, you'll learn quite a little bit over the coming weeks. Yeah, Ian? I think uh, I think as you say, you know, we have two two major events coming up. There's Transform, obviously, and then and then a little bit later on, there's there's Cisco Live at the end of March as well. Um, I think obviously we have announced back in I think it was October um, the initial phase of the integration between Thousand Eyes and App. And AppD, and I, I do think, you know, as somebody within the industry, maybe, but I do think it is quite groundbreaking in that, you know, a lot of our customers have so many tools and platforms to run their networks and their applications effectively, and one of their major pain points is this tool sprawl. You know, they can have ten to fifteen, twenty of these platforms all to help them run effectively networks and applications more effectively. And and that's an indication of how siloed a lot of the industry is. Um, so the um, the fact that actually Thousand Eyes and AppD are together under this umbrella and they're integrated and actually you can start to see end-to-end service delivery all the way from your user to the application into the app itself with deep app inspection and at the back end of the application you know, maybe it's because I'm within the industry, but I find that quite exciting because, you know, a lot of our customers' um, operations and service delivery and application teams are struggling with that to get that end-to-end view. And I think that there is more to come, as Justin says, but even that first phase, I think, is a major step um, in bringing some of this together. Yeah, and making a lot of people's lives easier. So um, that's great. Thank you very much for your time, gents. And just as a, uh, a, I'd also draw people to I'll include the links in the in the podcast notes as well. But we're obviously running free discovery workshops and demos of App Dynamics and Thousand Eyes. Um, that comes obviously along with a, a free managed trial um, and all proof of concept, um, which includes sort of 100 free licenses of App Dynamics. But um, Justin, Ian, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it, gents. Pleasure. Many, many thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to NatChat, the Natalic podcast. Please subscribe to the Natalic podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review while you're there. It really helps us improve and grow the show. Please note that opinions expressed on the Natalic podcast are those of the hosts or our guests, not the organisations that they represent. You can find more information on Natalic on our website, that's natalic.com. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Natalic Group, as well as Facebook and LinkedIn. Our theme music was provided by Dan Short, who you can find at Danza, that's D-A-N-Z-R, on music streaming services. This is Rob Thor, and thanks again for listening.